Welcome into episode 28 of the Ebony Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McDonald, contributor for the website. You can follow me on Twitter at jmcdonald95. Our site handle for ebonybird.com is ebony underscore bird. And of course, as always, I want to remind everybody before we get started to download the Ebony Bird app with plenty of content coming to you on your mobile device. Uh, one recently from site expert Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller NFL. Two-round mock draft 4.0, and then another one from today, Ravens draft potential first-round draft picks pie position by Brandon Deffitt. You can follow him on Twitter at IM underscore D-E-F-F. Once again, we are going to be joined by site expert Chris Schessler at FootballMan58 out on Twitter, as well as a first-time caller contributor Richard Bradshaw. He is at Richie Brads with a Z at the end, 36, out on Twitter, filling in for Joe tonight as he was busy with schoolwork. Again, of course, uh, me and him are both getting ready to graduate in about a month or so here. Our schedules are a little crazy, so we might need a week make some other arrangements. And happy to welcome Richard into the podcast tonight. It's actually funny. Uh, two weeks ago, we had contributor Jonathan Dugan on the podcast. And actually, both Richard and Jonathan are from Arizona, although they do not know each other. But um, they make up the Ebony Bird West Division, as Chris likes to say. Before we get into everything, we're going to go into uh, Ravens working out, uh, some receivers, free agents out on the market, Michael Floyd and Willie Sneed. We'll talk about that. We're going to do a position breakdown with uh, inside linebackers. We have a lot to break down as far as that goes, and then we'll wrap it up with John Harbaugh's recent comments about revamping the Ravens' defense and some small tweaks. We'll talk about what they need to add on defense through the draft, which is coming up quickly in a couple weeks here. Uh, so before we get started with all that, I want to give Richard a chance to introduce himself and tell all the listeners of the podcast, which is available on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio, where he can find him. So Richard, take it away. Just some information about yourself and information about your social media background. Well, I really appreciate you guys letting me come on the podcast this week. So I've been with the Ebony Bird website now, coming up on about a year in May. Uh, longtime Ravens fan, big-time NFL draft fan. Uh, like Jake said, I'm on Twitter at Richie Brads, and that's with a Z at the end, 3-6. Big football fan. I've been following the Ravens for nearly a decade now. I bleed purple and black. I care about this team more than just about anything in the whole world. And I, like I said, I'm just really excited to be on the podcast with you guys. Thank you again for having me on. So one more question, uh, being from Arizona, what got you specifically into the Ravens? Like, what drew you in? You know what's funny is uh, the power of fantasy football is just totally insane. And when I first started playing it, uh, I had Ray Rice on my team, and I just kind of picked up watching him, and he was one of my favorite players, obviously before his big off-field incident, and just kind of picked up watching the rest of the Ravens, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, the energy they brought to the field was just so electrifying and so attractive to me. And then, of course, my all-time favorite player, Terrell Suggs, played at Arizona State, which just so happens to be where I go to school. So everything just kind of fit together, and that's just the team that I've been claiming for as long as I've been watching football now. Now, you bring that point up about Terrell Suggs. I just have to ask you, have you ever seen him at your college? So... My first year on the Arizona State campus, I was at a basketball game, and he was down uh, courtside watching the guys play. I believe it was Oregon. But towards the end of the game, uh, my buddies that I was roommates with knew that I was a Ravens fan. They were like, dude, you got to get down there and say hey. So I just grabbed a little bit of courage, ran down real quick. I said, Mr. Suggs, could I possibly get a picture with you real quick? He was like, yeah, absolutely. 
So let me grab a quick selfie. And then this was him coming off of his Achilles tear. So I wished him well. And he went and did his thing with all his buddies. But totally cool guy. He's huge. He dwarfed me. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely an awesome story, certainly, as all fans of the Baltimore Ravens love hearing stuff like that. And kind of an unorthodox situation with you out in Arizona liking the Ravens, but you and Jonathan both share that passion. We're both happy to have you on the Ebony Bird West Division. So let's talk about some, uh, some Ravens football now. Some quiet weeks here. We're about the point in the NFL schedule where the owners' meetings have wrapped up, and we have a couple weeks until the NFL draft. We're three weeks away from pick time. So these next two weeks are kind of slow, but the Ravens just announced today they're going to be holding a pre-draft press conference today on Wednesday. But in the meanwhile, they're working out still some free agent wide receivers after signing Michael Crabtree and John Brown. Two receivers, Michael Floyd and Willie Sneed, have been in Owings Mills working out. Just some background information before we talk about these guys. Floyd, 28 years old, a former first-round pick by the Cardinals in 2012-13 overall. Had solid years from 2013 to 2015, including a 65, 1,041-yard season in 2013. He was released from the Cardinals in late 2016 following a DUI arrest. He also served a four-game suspension last season for violating the NFL substance abuse policy. And last season, he only caught 10 passes for 78 yards last season with Minnesota. Switching over to Willie Sneed now, he's 25 years old, went undrafted in 2014, but posted 984 receiving yards with the Saints in 2015, 895 in 2016. But last season, he only caught Eight passes for 92 yards in 11 games, and he also served a free game a free game suspension for a DUI last season. That was originally a four game suspension, then was reduced down to three. So two guys that have a little bit of a checkered pass, but they have put up some solid seasons, but haven't necessarily gotten over the hump yet. So we'll start over with Chris, and then shoot over to Richard here. Lower tier receivers. I mean, I think both these guys are more on uh, the level of John Brown necessarily than Michael Crabtree, but. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Ravens, even though that the draft is still coming up, they're still looking at all options and for agency, particularly at the wide receiver position? I really want to see them get Willie Sneed. I think it won't cost a hell of a lot. I know he's a restricted free agent. Uh, where the Saints would have the ability to uh, match, I believe. But I think we might be getting a perfect storm here with the DUI, the suspension, and then he got hurt. Um, having that just off the radar year, um, so off the map, I think we could get a good receiver at a good price. Um, and right now the Ravens can use every bit of help they can get with Michael Floyd. It's, you know, I don't know what to expect from the guy if we sign him, but I don't think anything can hurt. And we also have to remember the Ravens can bring in a guy and then get to training camp, be like, you know what, this isn't working out. And as long as you don't uh, do any bad deals, I'm fine with bringing anybody in at this point. At this point, we just need people to catch passes. Michael Crabtree can't catch 500 passes in a season. So you gotta, you, you gotta split it up. In Crabtree, you look at the guy going to get you 75 to 80 receptions. Uh, maybe, you know, that's where we should target that goal. So we need a guy who can come in and get 60, 70 receptions. We don't have that right now. Um, John John Brown is a nice little piece of the offense that I think if he stays healthy, he'll be, be good for Flacco's uh, deep ball. But, I, I, you know, we need to add the tight end. But, I mean, 
can't get too excited about Willie Sneed or Michael Floyd, but I'd be very interested, especially in Willie Sneed. Well, and kind of going off of your point about needing those secondary guys to catch, you know, 55, 60 passes, I think the biggest problem right now with this receiving core that Ozzie Newsom has been very aggressive in recreating and retooling and reloading is there's no tight end. And even last year when Benjamin Watson was catching, you know, seven, eight-yard passes, he wasn't explosive, and Max Williams hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. And it's kind of a decimated depth chart that needs to be addressed in the draft. So continuing to add receivers is something that I think is very important. And I do like the upside of a guy like Chris Moore, but he's still kind of unproven. And we've seen with Willie Sneed, who I would definitely be leaning towards as the guy I want to add, you've seen him be able to unlock that deep ball with Drew Brees. And that's something that the Ravens have been lacking, even with adding Mike Wallace and, excuse me, Brashad Perriman you still just haven't had that deep throw you had since Torrey Smith left way back when. And it's something that is so vital to this Ravens offense. And what's so nice about both of these guys, including Michael Floyd, is you can get them for relatively cheap contracts because they're both coming off of very disappointing seasons because of suspensions and injuries and other outlying factors. So what's going to be really nice is recreating this wide receiver core with guys who have proven themselves in the past. Willie Sneed was just shy of a thousand yard season in 2015 and Michael Floyd had a thousand yard season in 2013. John Brown had a thousand yard season in 2015 and Michael, excuse me, Michael Crabtree has had a couple of thousand yard seasons throughout his career. So you're getting proven guys to kind of retool the offense and that's really nice. My only complaint that I will kind of put with you guys to think about is I don't want to add three or four receivers in free agency and then ignore the position in the draft. Because if Calvin Ridley is there at 16, and I know Chris will be mad at me if I don't mention Cortland Sutton being available (laughs) at 16, or even if we were to trade down into the mid-late 20s and still find a way to land Sutton, I think you need to add a receiver very high in this draft because I don't think any of the guys in the roster are long-term solutions. And I just don't want to fall into that trap of, well, we've added three or four guys so we can afford to wait until the late rounds and, you know, draft an Aaron Malay from Elon. And you just, you don't want to fall into that trap again. So I am very happy with how we have addressed this off season. And I would love to see Willie Sneed. If you get Michael Floyd, I'm not going to be thrilled. I'm not going to be upset. But like I said, the biggest thing, you just can't walk away from the draft without grabbing a guy in the top 100 picks. That's all I'll kind of leave that with. I want to kind of add on to that before we go on to uh, talk about the inside linebacker position. Uh, Here's the thing. This kind of receiver movement free agency prevents the Ravens from ignoring the wide receiver position at the draft. I'd be shocked uh, if they say, you know what, we've got Michael Crabtree and John Brown. We're good. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm actually not very high on Ridley. Uh, he just doesn't have the catch radius. Um, and, you know, his measurables just are really not off the charts. But I look at this draft and I see him. I see three, three guys. I see his number one guys. I see Sutton. 
uh, DJ Moore and Christian Kirk. And then I see a bunch of guys grouped together, the second and third rounds, that are good, solid number twos that maybe develop into number one, some of them. And I see a lot of slot guys like Kiki Kuti, uh, uh, is, is a good slot guy. There's a lot of guys like that in this draft that I think could end up being great in the squad. There's good number twos. So I, I don't know that we have to go wide receiver round one, but I'd be shocked if we don't go round wide receiver at some point in the first three rounds because there's a lot of good receivers. That would be more than fine with me. Like I said, I just want to make sure that we're continuing to address a position that has always been a weak point with us. Just just make sure we're doing it. You know what I mean? No, I'm with you. If Sutton's on the board at 16 and they don't take it, everything around me will be thrown. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that right now. Because, I, I mean, we need playmakers at this point. I, I mocked Darius Geist to the Ravens. Uh, with the last mock draft, and the reason I did that was because we need playmakers in any form they come. I mean, if we draft Dallas Goddard, I'm fine with it. The number one thing I want is a playmaker. People keep talking about, let's draft an offensive lineman. The last thing I want is an offensive lineman. Ozzie Newsom has proven he can get a guy in the fourth round who can start. Why? We have a left tackle. We have Alex Lewis and James Hurst's flexibility gives you a lot of options. Give me a break with this offensive line stuff. You take Mike McGlinchey, I'm like, okay, cool, fine. We got a good player. But I'm not drafting a right tackle in the first round of the draft. Especially 16 is going to be a little rich for him right there. It's it's just not the sexy pick, which at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world, but I'm 100% with you. And I think it should be well documented by now how I feel about Darius Geis. Absolutely. I mean, the good news is, the Ravens, this is still a, t- a pretty typical quiet period of the year, but when you look at the depth chart now, aside from Crabtree and Chris Moore, who have proven they can stay on the field, we don't know what John Brown's going to do, and I think whether or not they do add one of these two guys or not, they still won't be done. I think no matter uh, what, after these past couple seasons, the playmakers are going to be a big emphasis in the upcoming drafts, but I can see why some fans are concerned about adding another receiver, but I don't think it's as big of a deal as people may be letting on, because again, we don't know if John Brown will be what he's going to be able to contribute next season. So moving on now in our positional breakdown series, we did this last week with the offensive line. This week we're going to shift to inside linebacker. Uh, this this topic is going to be broken down to a couple different pointers here. So I'll start off with Richard, then shift over to Chris. Uh, one simple question on a scale of one to ten, how good is C.J. Mosley? I wrote down a six. I don't feel great about saying that, but I I think Mosley can be a liability in pass coverage a, a lot of times, especially against tight ends. We've seen that throughout the course of his career, but I'm curious to get this discussion going about C.J. Mosley. So rating on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is C.J. Mosley? Oh, I think i got to disagree with you wholeheartedly and give, and give him double your score and give him a 12 out of 10. Uh, being more realistic, it's probably an 8 or 9. I really do think that Mosley might be the most underappreciated middle linebacker in the NFL. I think his pass coverage definitely needs a little bit of retooling, and he could be a lot better at covering those tight ends. But I do believe that he's one of those five-tool middle linebackers who can drop into coverage at an above-average level. He can rush the passer very well. He's got sideline to sideline to speed. His, his, excuse me, his instincts are top-notch. He can diagnose plays, and he's a leader. 
he definitely commands the respect of that defense. And that's something that I think is the most important. I don't think he's ever going to be at that level of Ray Lewis as far as leadership goes. But that's not fair to ask. And you guys know that as well as I do. But what he's been able to do in just four years has been absolutely incredible. And I know we're going to touch on this in a little bit, but it's going to be so important to make sure that you lock him down long term because you just can't start over at that position again because the rest of the linebacking core isn't overly fantastic. It definitely needs a little bit of work. But with Mosley plugged in the middle, it definitely turns it into a bit of a strength because of how reliable he is. He's got eight interceptions in his first three years, eight sacks. He's had at least 92 tackles in every season, three-time pro bowler, kind of got snubbed his sophomore year when he still had 117 tackles and four sacks. But if we're being completely honest, as far as pure middle linebackers go, I don't think you can name five who are better than C.J. Mosley. I'm going to kind of get the best of both of what you just said. I'm going to go he's a 7 out of 10. But how many – I want to commend Richard for his comment because how many linebackers can you name that are better than a 7 out of 10? Luke Keekley, that's about it. Nate, Bobby Wagner and, you know – Bobby Wagner, yeah. yeah. A couple other guys. Maybe, well, that's still – Maybe Shazier when he's healthy. Yeah, but that's still only, what, three? Yep, that's it. So, so I, I'll put it to you this way. I even wish his ears healthy. You bump a raven over a stealer any day. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I think he's a good player. I think, I think he's a good player who does a bit of everything well. I think the number one problem with Mosley has been coaching. Uh, you know I'm not a fan of Swiss cheese. Never have been, never will be. Um, and I think Martindale coming in, he's comfortable with him as a coach. Maybe you get a more linebacker-focused game plan. Maybe you get a little less of this wishy-washy zone defense, um, three-man rush, let him dissect you stuff. Because I don't think that's what Mosley likes to play, and I don't think that's what he should be playing. I think Mosley should be a guy you you never know what he's doing. I mean, you. I think he should be a – pass rusher on some plays. I think he should be a pass coverer on some plays. I think he should be ferocious at every chance he gets to the run game. Uh, I just I want to take advantage of his skill set in a way that I don't think Dean Pease has. So I'm interested to see if he has a great year this year. Maybe Pease was a problem because I think there there's a lot of players on that Ravens defense that I think we're going to get more out of just because Dean Pease is gone. I was definitely a Dean Pease apologist for the longest time, and I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and tell you that he was better than what he was, but I do agree with you. I'm really excited to see C.J. Mosley kind of unleashed and unchained and allowed to command more of the attention and the reins to this defense more. I'm really excited for that. Dean Pease was better than Greg Madison, but he wasn't much different. And it'll be interesting this season coming up on C.J. Mosley's contract year. Of course, he has one year left on his rookie contract. So this is one of the storylines that's going to be on the top of the Ravens' agenda heading into the 2018 season. The next question we had about the linebacker position, 
will the Ravens extend Mosley's contract before he becomes a free agent and does this add reason to draft a linebacker? I'm going to go with probably just for the sole uh, purpose that the Ravens love to retain their defensive draft picks, particularly Mosley being an Alabama uh, player. I know Ozzie is going to be uh, going to want to be all over that during his last uh, year as general manager. But the figures of this deal are going to be really interesting to find out with the Ravens being so tight up against the cap. I'm interested to see if they do get this new contract, what the figures will be, particularly in the first th- couple of uh, seasons and how long it will be. I'm assuming it'll probably be like a five or six year extension. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll go into the uh, the who's going to start next to Mosley next season and uh, possibly talking about other options at that second middle linebacker position next to him, whether or not they should draft another one. Um, but anyway, uh, what percentage do you think it is that the Ravens will g- uh, give C.J. Mosley a contract extension before this season or before his contract expires? I'm going to go at plain 50%. I could see them doing something with what they did with Yonda where they did in the middle of the season. Um, and, and I could see them, you know, making us freak out thinking it's not going to happen. The reason I'm worried is because if it was going to happen, you would have thought it would be right before the phrase and rush to get cat space cleared up. Um, and the fact that it didn't happen then when the Ravens had every incentive to want it to happen, Makes me a little nervous. I don't think you want C.J. Mosley to become a free agent. So if I'm the – because if you can't keep Colettio's family, you can't keep Ryan Jensen, <laughs> keep it C.J. Mosley. So you don't want him to hit the open market. I think there's a 50% chance that he will, and that's concerning. Yeah, the one thing that I just don't like about the way the front office runs and this is Newsom's last season, so for all we know, DaCosta could come into the 2019 offseason and be a lot more aggressive with re-signing guys, is it just seems like they kind of wait for these to play out longer than they should. Like, I know that when the time came for Assembly and Ricky Wagner and Ryan Jensen to hit free agency, they were at a point where you couldn't re-sign them. But they definitely had the opportunity to give them contracts before they outplayed what the Ravens were able to kind of hand down to them. So if Mosley has a career year, let's just get this out of the way now. You're going to franchise tag him at a minimum. There's no way you let him walk after this season. But you're just going to keep rolling the dice that he continues to outplay what you're willing to give him. And I kind of took a look at Bobby Wagner's contract and at Luke Keekley's contract, and both of them are making well over $10 million a year. And that's something that Mosley is easily going to be in that realm of when it is time to give him a new contract. So and on a scale of 1 to 10, as far as where he's going to resign, if it's going to be before the season starts or after the season starts, I'm going to agree with Chris here and just kind of go 50%, because I really do think it go either way. I'm hoping – at a minimum, maybe it's midseason. I want to see them get this deal done before the 2018 season's over. But I just don't see any way he leaves after 2018. I think regardless, you're going to franchise tag him if you just can't figure out anything out long term. So with that being said, who is going to play next to C.J. Mosley at inside linebacker next season? Is it going to be Peanut? Is it going to be Tyus Bowser? Or is it going to be Kamalai Correa, who or a player to be named later. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this. I know Peanut was a he was an undrafted guy, much similar to uh, Zach Orr, but I don't think he's on the same level as Zach Orr, and Correa and Bowser are 
I mean, Bowser in his rookie season made minimal impact after appearing in the first few games of the season, and Correa has basically done the same level of production as Arthur Brown did his couple years in the league. Uh, So at this point, I think uh, Peanut is the best out of the three, but like I said, nowhere near the level of Zach Orr, which again, that makes that loss last offseason so unfortunate. Um, But Bowser and Correa cannot afford to become big busts like Arthur Brown did. I think that Bowser might be a little ahead of the curve than Correa is at this point. Um, even though they both got roughly the same amount of playing time last season, Korea maybe a little bit more. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this. Do you think, as of right now, in regards to who's starting next to Mosley next season, is it a better chance of being one of those three guys, or do you think there might be a player that they add in in free agency or the draft coming up in a couple weeks? I think right now you got to pencil it in as one of those three, just because the Ravens seem to stay with what they're familiar with. I do like Peanut. And I do like what he was able to show us, but he really is a replacement level player. I love, 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 love the idea of Tyus Bowser eventually stepping in to that middle linebacker role because he just fits in the mold of that pass rusher that you really need from that position to kind of put the defense, or excuse me, the offense off balance. But he showed in college in Houston, because I don't know if you guys know this, but he did play some basketball and was very good at zone coverage. And that's something that will allow him to be more versatile in that role. And I think he's going to be your best option. I don't know how quickly he transitions into that role, because I thought that he would go into 2017 in that role next to Mosley. Unfortunately, I do think Correa is – if he's not already, he's definitely trending towards being a bust. And that's really unfortunate because you spent such a high pick on him and he just has not shown anything noteworthy. I mean, again, this isn't a knock on Peanut, but you got benched as a second round pick, 42nd overall, by a guy who was undrafted. That's not a good look for you. And I don't know where his role is at this point. I don't know if you're going to try and roll him back out to outside linebacker and see if you can get anything out of him at this point. But I think Correa is kind of a lost cause. To me, this comes down to Tina and Bowser. Unless they were to draft a guy in this upcoming draft or maybe they decide to get a Navarro Bowman kind of veteran to kind of show up to position, but I think it kind of be it remains to be seen exactly what they're going to do with the position. If it's up to me, I put Bowser at the middle, and I don't really think about it. I couldn't agree more with Richard. I I put Bowser there for two reasons. One, because I think he's great at it. If you watch his Houston tape, uh, he really did do a lot. He wasn't just a pass rusher. He he was good in space. He was. Uh, good against the pass in both pass rushing and coverage. Um, and he was a good headhunter of the football. Now, the other reason I, I do it is because Matthew Down and Terrell Suggs aren't going anywhere, and they're stud muffins at that position. Matthew Don <laughs> ended up being just like stud muffin stamp of approval. I mean, you could have had a better pick than in the fourth round. Then Matthew Don, Grand Valley State, a couple of years ago, I think he's the next Terrell Sucks. So 
you run a risk of Ty Bowser becoming a wasted pick no matter what because he's going to have to compete for snaps there. Then you run the risk of Tim Williams becoming a wasted pick because you have him competing with Tyus Bowser, Matthew Don, Terrell Suggs, and, oh, yes, the Darius Smith. I don't want to draft a pass rusher because I think it's already logged in. But you know what? If you add a pass rusher this offseason, you better move Tyus Bowser inside or else you're literally like the guy who's like, okay, everybody go into the same lane and complain about traffic. That's what it is. I I agree with you 100% on that log jam situation. You don't want to get a guy washed up, and you almost run the risk of having his confidence broken a little bit if you're not able to get him onto the field. With him being as high of a second-round pick as he was, you want to make sure that you're giving Bowser every opportunity to succeed. And And the best way to do that is to get him onto the field as much as possible. And with Judon totally blossoming his second year with eight sacks and becoming the the uh, the other bookend opposite Suggs. And I think Suggs still has two or three more years in him. Well, Suggs doing so well, career. Richard. Not to interrupt you, but Suggs doing so well actually hurt the Ravens because I think Tyus Bowser was, and Tim Williams were brought in because they're like, let's get more out of Suggs. So let's get more out of Suggs. More, less is more. Let's get save him for later in the season. I think Suggs got worn out. I think Suggs got worn out in December. And I I, I I thought that Bowser should have been on the field more because of that. I uh, What really impressed me this season, getting a little off topic and kind of going over to Carolina, when they brought in Julius Peppers, he round up 12 sacks or something like that and was in a complete part-time role. He really wasn't starting that many games, but he still was able to consistently get pressure just coming off the bench in a rotational role. And I think that's going to be more than ideal for you to start doing with Terrell Suggs is get him into that rotational role where he's only going to come in on pass rushing situation, but he's still going to get you eight, nine, ten sacks every year. So the best way to be able to prepare for that future it's to start getting those young guys the snaps. I'm huge mm-hmm. on Tim Williams. I think Matt Judon's a stud. I think the Ravens are notorious for having guys in their contract season have huge years. So I do like Zaka this season. I think he could get you five, six sacks. I would love to see a pass rusher drafted high. I recently wrote an article about how much I would love to see Harold Landry in the first round. But even if you grab a guy in the second round or the third round and just continue to add pieces, it's just going to be so important that you find pass rushers to be the heir apparent. And we're getting a little off topic because I know we need to talk about Tyus Bowser, but the important thing is you get these young guys the snaps they need. And with the log jam you have at edge rusher, I think your best bet with Bowser is to continue to move him into more of a middle linebacker role. All right. When we talk about value in the draft, guess who I have ranked at 16? Lorenzo Carter. Guess who I have ranked at 17? Marcus Davenport. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch at 26. Tremaine Edmonds at 27. I mean, there's linebackers to be had both inside and out in this draft if you want to do it with your first round pick. Do not roll out linebacker either inside or outside.